0: Hey, everybody. Zach here. Uh, I just wanted to give you some fair warning through this episode that we ran into some audio difficulties. Um, At the very beginning, the the music doesn't come right uh, through the speakers, and so um, that's a little goofy. Also, at points in the video, our mics are kind of – tinny sounding kind of weird. Um, We're working to get that figured out, but rather than re-record this episode, we we enjoyed the content and we thought we would go ahead and put it out for you. Um, And so I I did just want to give you some fair warning and apologize. Um, So thank you guys for sticking with us and uh, following us and and listening to these episodes. You are a blessing and we thank you for all of your prayers and your support. And um, I, I pray that God bless you all. So thank you. Hey, welcome back to Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach. And I am Randy. And today we're talking about the Apostle Paul. And yeah? Why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) You're just like staring at me like, what have you done? I I think I'm supposed to say that. Um, Yeah. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. That's right. And uh, his. His deconstruction of his faith.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I had ever called it that before, but uh, um, this week you talked. We're taking uh, it back, Randy, about the yeah. word deconstruction, We're taking encouraging it back. people to deconstruct their faith. We're taking it back, but meaning what it really means, right? Because yeah. nobody
0: actually means deconstruction when they say deconstruction. They always mean, well, I didn't like Christianity. Destroy. So I destroyed it. I went and found reasons why I hated it and why it was wrong. And I found articles that agreed with only the view that I had already claimed a stake on. And I have determined that it is false. That's what it is every single time. And I'm sorry if you disagree. But what does deconstruction really mean? Well, okay, so I did a YouTube video, okay? Yeah. And... I would like to then kind of put this video out, a little snippet of this video as like a kind of example of of how Paul deconstructed his faith. And we'll kind of, we'll kind of
1: do a little shortened version on YouTube. So um, in the video that you did, I watched just three or four minutes of it mm-hmm. and summarized the rest of it. Did you talk about your dad? Did you talk about what your dad did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. I did. Okay, so that, that's cool. I think that really describes it. There's another guy... Do you know who Don
0: Garlitz is? For, real quick, for anybody listening, uh, what he mean, means is my dad used to take things
1: apart in the garage. And he would he would find out how they worked. Right. right? Because he would take them apart. Put it back put together. Put it back together. Right. right. So, Do you know who Don Garlitz is? No. Okay. Don Gar- Garlitz is considered the father of drag racing. Okay. And uh, when he was a teenager, he was about 13 or 14 years old, his dad bought him a car. That was an old junker. He was like a $50 car. And he said, son, you can do whatever you want to with it, except drive it. So what does a 13, 14-year-old boy do? He tears it apart, and then he puts it back together again. And then he tore it apart again, and he put it back together again. Hmm. And he had torn it apart and put it back together again, like like three or four times by the time he turned 16. Well, when he turned 16... He knew what every piece was, and he knew how to tweak it and get it to really go fast. So that's what he spent the rest of his life doing, tweaking things so they would go faster and faster and faster. They said that he could stand by a car, listen to it, and say, oh, Cylinder 4, uh, uh, you've got a leak in Cylinder 4, or uh, you need to back off the the uh, distributor cap about 3 degrees He was just that good because he had deconstructed and reconstructed cars for so long.
0: Yeah, so he became incredibly familiar with the ins and outs of the car because he was so used to pulling it apart and then putting it back together again and seeing why it worked the way it
1: worked. And that gave him the ability then to kind of take it to the next level. Yeah. To say, on the basis of that, we can do this.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say deconstruct our faith. You did, like, for instance, like I was talking to Jimmy about this because let me say this before I made this YouTube video, before we made this podcast, before I settled in deconstruction is a good thing, um, I talked to a lot of people about this and explained why I'm saying what I'm saying. And they all agree, and I'm talking Christian people, that Jimmy made the point, um, well, like, if you go to a restaurant and they deconstruct a the hamburger, you have a piece of bread, and you have a <laughs> patty of meat, and you have a a, a piece of cheese. A and special have... sauce and a pickle. <laughs> right, right, right. And my point is, like, that they're all still there. The things are there. Mm-hmm. it's not like they cease to be but what we're talking what people mean when they say deconstruction is they're like oh yeah i took it apart and found out there was never really a burger or a pickle or lettuce or tomato in it and it's like that's not deconstruction
1: so now i'm eating tuna <laughs> right
0: right oh yeah i found out my burger was really tuna it- yeah exactly it's <laughs> like no that's not what that means like you see what i'm saying yep. like i, I don't do. know i do it's yeah. very goofy. It's very goofy. And I'm sure somebody's going to be offended by this. Um, and I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> so, so please reach Drop out. Drop us a note. Me. Drop <laughs> us a note. Salty Saints uh, at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com <laughs> or uh, comment on Facebook. Uh, sorry, on YouTube. And I'd love to chat. Yeah. On, so yeah, yeah.
1: Cool. So anyways, Paul. So, yeah, we, we, we talked about uh, are there some examples of deconstructed faith? And I think Paul gives us a fantastic example. Because here's a guy who he spent his life up to about, what, I don't know, 30, 35 years old, uh, uh, learning how to be a good Jew, learning how to be a Pharisee. He traced his lineage to the tribe of, of Benjamin, which there were few, few Benjamites, that when the northern kingdom was taken off in exile, there were some Benjamites and some Ephraimites who went and lived with Judah. But they kept their lineage. So Paul, his his family is important to him. His history is important to him. He identifies himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was a guy who really had it all together in that sense, so much so that when these Christians started going around doing their thing, he decided that he would uh, arrest them. He would help the Pharisees who wanted to kind of squash this little cult that they thought was rising up. So the best way to do that would be to have them thrown into jail. So Paul talks about how he would go out find them, arrest them, throw them in the jail, and then the Sanhedrin would decide what to do with them after that. But uh, for Paul, it was all about uh, locking them up and throwing away the key. Right, yeah. Um,
0: he, He really took pride in what he'd been raised on. Um that he he never questioned it he he actually kind of refers to himself as a zealot, doesn't he? He does that uh, you know a zealot is essentially like a radical follower of something, is it not?
1: Yeah, now there there were zealots, but that was different. Paul doesn't identify as belonging to the band of zealots, but he does say that he was zealous. For uh, right. the Jewish faith,
0: right? He's all in. He's sold out. He was exactly. all about it. Yeah. And it took Jesus meeting him on the road to Damascus and blinding him. Yeah. To wake him up and say, "Hey, you're wrong." Now let's rethink some things, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So Jesus comes to him. Uh, Paul is on the road to Damascus with a group of other people. They're going to arrest more question Christians. And Jesus appears to him. It's a blinding light. Everybody else says it was lightning and they heard thunder. Paul hears a voice, and it's Jesus' voice, saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. It's hard for you, just like it's hard for an ox to kick against an ox goad. We should have brought the ox goad in, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can go get it if you want. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he said it. Jesus basically said, Paul, this is painful for you, isn't it? Paul said, yeah, you know what it is. So Paul has this vision. He is now blind. They take him to Damascus. The Jews don't know what to do with him there. The synagogue doesn't know what to say because they've never seen anything like this. And Paul is now saying that Jesus, who the Jews are saying is dead and gone, Jesus appeared to me. Jesus talked to me. Well, what do you do? The guy that was coming to arrest the Christians is now saying, the Christ of the Christians talked to me. Right. Ananias is one of the leaders in the church in Damascus. The Lord comes to him and he says, Go find Paul. And Ananias basically says, Say what? <laughs> Don't you know who Paul is? And the Lord says, Yeah, I know. Uh, we're going to do something new with him. We're going to do something different. So Ananias goes to Paul, lays hands on him, prays for him, and the Bible says, It's as if it were scales that fell from his eyes. Now it doesn't say scales fell from his eyes. It was like Scale spells. So
0: we kind of do a similar thing with the, uh, and it uh, he was sweating like drops of blood. Right. And we right, kind of turn right. it into, it was drops of blood. Right. It's like, well, was it, it doesn't actually say that. It says, right.
1: it was as if. Mm-hmm. So uh, same thing here, but Paul recovers his sight. Um, now, here's where in the book of Acts we jump. We're in Acts chapter, where is this? Acts chapter uh, 9. And uh, we have Paul's, uh, uh, Paul is speaking to Ananias. And um, uh, Paul, Saul, at this point, he's not named Paul, it's Saul, stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed, isn't it the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers? Um, Paul's preaching became more and more powerful. Now, that's where Acts leaves it. But if we go to the book of Galatians, this is Paul talking, writing about his own life. In the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verse Seventeen, Paul says about this time. Where are we at here? Verse uh, uh, seventeen.
0: Um, now
1: let's let's jump back to fifteen. There, Paul says it pleased God to reveal His Son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's the vision. Mm -hmm. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus, and three years later I went to Jerusalem to get to know people. Now, because of that, and the way it's worded, um, most people believe that Paul spent three years in the Arabian Desert. What was he doing there? Some say he went to uh, live with the Essenes for a while. Could have been. He doesn't exactly say that. But the Essenes were kind of hermits, and they would let people come in, and and just study. they had a huge library. Uh, some of that library we have today in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. But that library uh, it includes apocalyptic literature. It includes a lot from the Old Testament. Commentaries on the Old Testament. The thing is, Paul apparently went to Arabia. And while he was there, he began to study. He began to look at the Old Testament. Now... About 25% of Paul's writings, 13 books in the New Testament, about 25% of those writings are direct quotes or direct allusions to the Old Testament. So strong that we know what he's quoting. We can go back to the passage and look at it there and compare it to what he's saying. He's always spot on. He always quotes it exactly. Paul spent a lot of time looking at the Old Testament. Now, why was he doing that? I think that was where Paul was deconstructing his faith. He had learned one way to approach the Old Testament from the Pharisees. In fact, he says, Acts chapter uh, 22, verse 3, that he studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is mentioned in the book of Acts as the Pharisee, who when the Sanhedrin said, we need to kill these Christians, Gamaliel stood up and said, no, if they are not of God, they're going to dry up and, and blow away. If they are, I don't think we want to be standing against God, do we? And everybody followed it. I mean, it was great reasoning. And... He obviously had a lot of influence. Mm. So this is the guy Paul studied with, Gamaliel. And he learned the Pharisaic approach to Scripture. He went to Arabia and actually studied Scripture. And that was different. Because when he studied Scripture, it looks like things began to make sense to him. Now he comes back to Damascus according to uh, Galatians 1, 17. But in the book of Acts, those two times are like conflated. They're just stuck right up against each other. Mm -hmm. So that Ananias prays for Paul, scales fall from his eyes. He begins to preach. And in the next verse, uh, it says, he stayed with them for many days. And then his preaching was so strong that uh, the Jews decided to kill him. Um, That's probably where that three years took place. He stayed with them for some days, but then he left for Arabia. When he finished there, he came back to Damascus, continued to preach, but now his preaching had a power that it didn't have before. Now they couldn't refute him. Now it wasn't just saying, hey, I saw Jesus on the road, and somebody saying, yeah, were you chewing peyote? (laughs) Uh, Now he's quoting the Old Testament saying, these are are your scriptures. And uh, they were listening to him, and they couldn't refute him. They were saying, gosh, those are our scriptures. Gee whiz, it does say that, doesn't it? it was starting to make sense, not only to Paul, but to the people that he was talking to. Right.
0: Um, it, it's really interesting that you've kind of drawn those two kind of contrasting ideas that that Paul had originally uh, studied under, is it G- G- Gamaliel, Gamaliel um, that he'd originally studied how to be a Pharisee by listening to The teachings of Pharisees. Because Jews uh, would listen to what the rabbis said, not what the scriptures said. I mean, that was a piece of it, right? right. But it was more about the interpretations by these teachers. The rabbis
1: were quoting scripture, but but they were adding to it. And uh, we discover that when we read what the rabbis say. Uh, A lot of times what they say... Is not actually what the Old Testament is saying. It's what it's their spin.
0: Right. And so he goes and he reads what the Old Testament actually says, what the what the Hebrew scriptures actually say. And then realizes, wait, we got it wrong. Like the Pharisees had it right. They had some things right, but they had a lot of it wrong. Like right. the overarching story here. And it's because he's now plugging the story of Jesus Christ into the Old Testament, and it all fits. It's it's mm-hmm. a one-for-one. One. It makes yep. absolute sense. And so my thing is, how often today do we base what we believe about Scripture off of what we've been told by teachers and their interpretations? Or we'll go read a commentary on a book of the Bible and go, oh, well, that's what he said it means. That must right. be what it means. Right. How often do we do that as opposed to actually going back and digging in and, and the reading the original language, yeah. saying, what's that word mean? What's it? Okay, gotcha. That's what that means? Oh, okay. I see how that can be translated this way, this way, this way in those translations, but now I know what that real word is. And we go back and we just go, oh, I read it contextually, and now I have my own view of this, and it makes sense. Like. Yeah. That, that we don't have to just base our beliefs off of what we're told. We can study Scripture
1: ourselves. Right, right, right. Now Paul continues his story. He says, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know to know Peter. Um, what what apparently happens, and we get this from the Book of Acts, when he went to get to know Peter, Peter was a little bit uh, dubious. He had heard about Saul. He was probably there when Stephen was stoned. And Paul was kind of the organizer. It says that he held people's coats. Uh, apparently, it was Paul that was saying, let me hold that while you pick up a stone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Paul was very much involved there. So Peter was a little bit dubious, but Barnabas, who had been with Paul in Damascus, goes and vouches for Paul. Um, after this, Paul goes back, to his own city, the uh, city of, of Tarsus, and is probably there for about eight years. city of Tarsus is the city in, in uh, all of the Roman Empire. It had more universities per capita than any other city. There were like five major universities there. I think Paul continued his education. I think he began to think in terms of okay, I know what scripture says about Jesus now. So what does Jesus mean to the Greeks? What is Jesus how, how does Jesus interact with Zeus or Apollos? How does this stuff make sense? Uh, what about philosophy? You've got by this time Platonic philosophy you have at least the uh, the hedonists are out there, and I'm not sure who else might be. But he would have been able to look at the various different philosophies and uh, evaluate. After eight years, Barnabas comes looking for Paul. And he tells Paul, okay, I've been asked by the church to go to Antioch which is not too far from Damascus. It's up in that general area. I've been asked by the church to go to Antioch because the Lord's really doing something there. And they want to make sure that it doesn't go off the rails. Come with me. So Paul goes. And for the next probably, probably around uh, six or seven years, Barnabas, takes Paul under his wings. And he's kind of showing him the ropes. They're learning how to do the ministry together. But Barnabas has already figured out some of this. So he is more of a mentor figure to Paul. Eventually the church in Antioch comes together in a prayer meeting and they hear the Lord saying to them very clearly, Saul and Barnabas need to go and do what we're doing here all across Asia Minor. And so they send them out as missionaries. They go to the island of Cyprus, and then they end up in Asia Minor. Cyprus is where Barnabas is from. Then they go to Asia Minor, where Paul was from. And they work basically from Tarsus about 30 or 40 miles west uh, Cilicia, uh, Lystra, Derby, uh, they hit all the major cities and, um, plant churches there. Hmm.
0: Okay. This is a random thought and I'm sorry, but you said something and now I, I just want to clarify. Okay. So Barnabas in the book of Acts, who is it? (sighs) I'm terrible with names. Paul and Barnabas are traveling together, right? With who is it they're traveling with? John Mark, John Mark. And Paul
1: doesn't want him to come along because he'd abandoned them once before. Right. John Mark also knew Cyprus. Well, when they leave Cyprus and go to Asia minor, John Mark leaves now. Now
0: this is, no, is that Mark that wrote the the book of Mark? That wrote the book of Mark.
1: Right. Okay. Very same one. Um, John Mark leaves from the city in which Paul was stoned, uh, probably, possibly to death. He may have been brought back from the dead. At least he was unconscious. And um, Christians prayed for him, and he recovered. John Mark looked at that and said, No, I don't think I'm in for this. And he went home. He went back to Antioch.
0: Well, so that's really funny to me, though, that Barnabas vouches for Paul. Right. Who is this dude that was helping people stone people to death, essentially, right?
1: Right. right.
0: He vouches for him to the other apostles, saying, no, I know it looks bad, but he's, he's all right. But then when it comes time for Paul to lean on Barnabas's vouch for John Mark, he won't take it. Isn't
1: that <laughs> interesting? Right. That is, I've never is. thought of that. But... Well, John Mark is also Barnabas's cousin or nephew.
0: Okay. So the word a... can mean both. So, okay, so there's a Paul side. may
1: have been thinking, yeah, come on. Also, Barnabas may just
0: be like, he might just be like seeing the good in everybody too. You know, like, I mean, well, that's an
1: interesting. Barnabas's name is probably justice. Barnabas, is a nickname that they give to him that means the son of encouragement. Huh. What does Barnabas do? That's wild. Um, He grabs Paul and he says, hey, come along with me. Paul goes to see Peter. Peter says, I don't know. Barnabas steps up by Paul and says, no, this is a good guy.
0: (laughs) Everybody's got one of those in their church. You know what I mean? Like everybody's got (laughs) that one. Yeah that just, you know, he's seen you at your worst and he's seen you at your best and he's still in your corner. And he's, and he's still like, in your no, corner. No, you'll get it figured out. I and
1: you, you know what? That is a spiritual gift. That's cool. It's the gift of encouragement. Well, Romans chapter 12.
0: And it's so interesting though to, I'm, I know I'm taking this off the rails, but I'm just, I don't know, the oh, scripture is really painted. Like, I, I like that you've got these, these, few guys that you know, Paul is like the the zealous teacher type. And then you've mm-hmm. got John Mark, who's clearly like younger in the faith, right? And he's scared, got scared. Yeah, but he's he's a doctor, right?
1: No, Luke is. That's Luke. I'm sorry. That
0: comes later. Okay. Well, okay. So you get this young guy though that's getting brought up in the faith, and then you got Barnabas, that's this super encouraging guy trying to bring him along, and you can see how that is going to cause some issues, especially (laughs) for Paul, who's just pure logic, right? All the time, you know.
1: And eventually the team breaks down. Right, but then later,
0: they're good again, right?
1: Yeah, later on. So the team breaks down after, uh, in Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas go out. That's where we figure out that Barnabas is actually the mentor. Because in one of the cities that they visited, they worshipped them as if they were roaming gods. And they called Barnabas mm-hmm. Zeus the king of the gods, the guy that was in charge. and Hermes. And Paul they called Hermes, or Mercury, who is the messenger. messenger. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul was the public speaker. Uh Barnabas was the brains of the operation.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: That's super wild. But later on, it's in the pastoral epistles, Paul says, "Send John Mark to me; he's useful to me." so they apparently batch things up later, but it took a while it took a while but and that's a beautiful picture too that like that
0: we see Paul growing in his faith too, that like absolutely he does, learns yeah. to let that grudge go yep. And see that this is my brother, and he is helpful, and I want to talk
1: to him. Like, that's cool. Yeah. That's super yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to derail that. No, 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 no. So, um, what is it that Paul did? Uh, ultimately, we, we don't want to just look back and say, okay, well, that was Paul. Here's, here's what he did. We want to kind of draw out principles from that. Um, so, he went to Arabia. The important thing there is not that he went somewhere distant or that he went somewhere isolated. The important thing is what he did there. Apparently, he spent a lot of time in Scripture. Anytime we deconstruct our faith, we still have to have a basis. So what's that basis? We need to really focus on Scripture. We've got to go back Old Testament, New Testament, read it over and over again, try to see it in a new light, If there is any basis for deconstructing our faith, it's got to be scripture where we're saying, okay, they always said this, but what does God say? Yeah. That's the first point. Second point is that Paul does this in a context of believers. Uh, In Arabia, he was with other people who were studying scripture. Uh, He goes back to Damascus, spends quite a bit of time there. He's in a church. He goes to Jerusalem. He wants to meet Peter. Now, above and beyond the fact that Peter led the church, I think he wanted to talk to one of the eyewitnesses. Peter was one of the 12. Tell me what he was like. Tell me what Jesus did. Am I missing anything here? He went back to Tarsus. And, you know, he spent time there, not necessarily with believers, but in an educational community, being educated. Barnabas comes, takes him to Antioch, and he spends time in the church. Probably five or six years in the church. And while he's there, he's learning. So when you deconstruct your faith, faith... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Are you Mr. Potato Head? Oh boy, I guess so. <laughs> All right, spend time in the Word. Get involved in your church. Yeah, I mean that—that's crucial. And there's a third element here, and that's the role of Barnabas. He had a mentor. He had somebody he could go to. I imagine that Paul would go to Barnabas quite a bit, saying, "Barney, this is what I'm thinking." <laughs> Tell me, does that make sense? And and Barnabas would have a chance to say, "Boy, you know, I never thought of it that way, but I think you're onto something." Or, I don't know, man, that seems like a stretch to me. Or, that's right on. Yeah, I've had those same thoughts. So, back to the Bible. Community of faith. Find a mentor. Those are three great steps, absolutely, in how to rec- de how to deconstruct your faith. What is so? Um,
0: I, I've got to take it here because I, I feel like we have to. Um, so, like for instance, to someone of the Catholic tradition, where the church is the authority that determines what scripture means Mm -hmm. what would you say to somebody that's in that context that's trying to explore their faith that they go back to scripture and they start reading it and going oh well this is what I feel like it says like how do you how do you navigate that when you have a a group of people over top it like I guess what I'm saying here is I what I see there is how would you ever know what what the truth is when it always just comes down to somebody
1: telling you what the truth is. Well Paul didn't go back to the Pharisees to deconstruct his faith. Mm-hmm. That was a community of believers of a of a sort. He wanted something new, something different.
0: So I, I guess what I'm saying here is I, I know we would say that it, sola scriptura. Scripture is the highest authority on what we can dictate, like we can pray, we should pray, and and I believe that great things come through prayer, Um, but if you get a word through prayer from God, or what you think is God, and it doesn't line up with what Scripture says, then obviously that's not from God, right? So, we would bring everything back to Scripture. For someone that doesn't lean on Scripture as the foundation, is what I'm trying to get at here. Right, right, right. What do they do?
1: I think it's important for them uh, following those same things, get into the study of God's Word on their own, but find a group that is also studying Scripture. Find someone uh, that isn't taking the path answers that they've always had. Right. They're looking for not new revelation, but they're looking for an understanding of the revelation that has been given to us. Right. Right. They're not about, let's come together and study what John Doe over there says about Scripture. Let's come together and really study Scripture.
0: I, and I'm not trying to like pick on certain. Traditions right. with this statement, but like it, it, it's just circular reasoning to me. Like that, at some point we're, we're just doing what the Pharisees do. If we just always lean on the interpretation of a right. body of people right. as the truth, there has to be something outside of human reasoning that we go to for truth, and we as Protestants believe that's the Word of God, right? Because Like, for instance, if I'm a corrupt individual and I tell you what, you know, what the Bible says, and I can just look at you and say, well, it's on the authority of God that I'm telling you that. (laughs) Um, At the end of the day, how do you know if I'm right or wrong? Right. The only logical answer is that there is something other than me that tells you if I am telling you accurately or not. Uh, I know that's a little convoluted and a little messy, but um, there are a lot of traditions that the highest authority is the church or tradition, and I just, I think that this is, uh, it would be hard for people from those backgrounds to make um, good arguments in this situation.
1: Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, I can't really say how another person argues that uh, they may be able to argue I mean, I could, I could see them arguing, yeah, but you got to be in the church, the true church, to uh, right,
0: right, right, right. So. But, but what I am saying is, it always comes back to a circular logic that, that kind of yeah. At the end of the day, you just have to take my word for it because I right. am right, and God told me I am right. Like, and it's like, well, wait, how do I know you are right? Well, right. you just have to know, right? And that, that's what
1: I am saying. It's exactly. like, so what? Whereas, what we are attempting to say is, well, what does God's word say? What if, does God's, God's word, say? word says? X, Y, Z. And yeah. that didn't come from me. That's it's not outside because it. I think this is what it says. It's because I've really studied. And this is right. the plain meaning of the words.
0: Right. Exactly. So it, it, uh, now, now what we do in that case is we put a lot of belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, that it is true and that it is incorrect. That's accurate. That yeah. it is accurate. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, sorry, kind of touching base on a lot of ideas here, yeah. but they're all necessary I think to to accurately say, okay, where do I start if I'm looking for answers? Right. Whatever tradition you come from is gonna dictate that differently, is what I'm trying to
1: paint the picture of here. Now, one of the elements that we talked about was finding a mentor. What do you think you should look for in a mentor? I I mean I would I would want some (laughs) we're
0: coming back to it again. I would want somebody that knows scripture.
1: Yeah,
0: I would oh, want somebody then. that and, and that knows it accurately and that they're a trustworthy person that I've seen their character and that time and time again their character is proven true and trustworthy. Um, I would want somebody nice that I get along with. <laughs> um, I don't want to be that's preferable, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've dealt with people like that where you can't ask them a question because they just talk to you like you're stupid if you do, and that <laughs> sucks, you know. Like, I don't want that. I want to be able to ask questions, even if they're stupid questions, to ask questions and and learn. I mean, that's what I do when I sit here with you. I ask you stupid questions and you
1: answer (laughs) me. Usually with stupid answers. (laughs) Hey, you
0: know what? I'm okay with that.
1: I think you're looking for somebody who is uh, also open, uh, honest, and transparent with you. Mm -hmm. Um, You're looking for more than a professor. Uh, You're looking for more than a friend. It's kind of a hybrid.
0: <laughs> you know what picture comes to mind? Have you ever seen The Sword in the Stone? The Disney cartoon? Um, no, you know, I never have. Oh, dude, it's awesome. So Merlin is yeah. the main character, the wizard Merlin right. from, like, the King Arthur story. Yeah. Right. And uh, he's just, like, this old, crazy, kooky wizard guy. And it's almost like the, the like, Doc Brown and, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Yeah, the uh, Marty McFly. Marty it's almost like their relationship. That's another good picture of it. Uh, that that it's is. like this older, wiser kind of character, <laughs> um, but that like takes an interest in this other person mm-hmm. and wanting to help make them better. And so teaching them...
1: The Obi-Wan Kenobi.
0: Look. Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> but what all those characters have in common is they all go on the adventure with the character.
1: Right. They don't right.
0: just tell them right. and then like send them out. They like are alongside them on the way. Uh,
1: So we had a, 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 we did a story branding thing here at New Hope. We had a guy come in and he talked about storyboarding uh, your brand. And he said, uh, most Hollywood movies are based on the concept of a guide. And the more he talked about it, the more it made sense. Obi-Wan Kenobi is the guide to Luke. Luke's the one that's going to, shoot the the torpedo down the Death Star's vent and blow it up. But he needs Obi-Wan Kenobi to get him there. Merlin is the guide. Arthur is the one who's going to wave the sword around and get the knights and the round table there. Uh, what was the other one we used? Uh, uh,
0: oh, Doc Brown.
1: Oh, Doc Brown, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Doc Brown tells... Um, uh, Marty, what he needs to do, but it's Marty who goes back on his own and finds Doc Brown back in 1955. It's books too. Uh, Dante's Inferno, Virgil. Right.
0: Walks Dante through hell, explains it to him because he w- doesn't want Dante
1: there. Right. Right? Like right. It's, yeah. So maybe the mentor, maybe another word for it is the guide. Yeah, the guide somebody to guide
0: you through life, but they walk through it with you.
1: doesn't always have to be older. You've got, uh, (laughs) I think, a guide. I think of Sacagawea. Uh, I read about a year ago, Lewis and Clark, uh, and they found this Indian guide, a, uh, a woman who had a breastfeeding baby that walked them over the mountains, and found the Oregon River and pointed him in the right direction to get to the scene. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's not uncommon
0: to have like a, a younger character serve as a guide. Look at movies like Oh man, I'm trying to think of it. Like The Tooth Fairy with the rock where he finds out he's got the little oh, that's girl. Right. And it's like there's a ton of movies like that. Or or like School of Rock, where Jack Black is the teacher right. and you got all right. these kids where The kid, the unsuspecting character, actually ends up teaching the older person a truth about the world. So, I mean, like, we can find mentors and guides in anyone. I mean, everybody's kind of got some knowledge to give us. I think what you're asking, though, is, like, maybe we should look for people that maybe our guide needs to fit what we're looking to be guided in.
1: Yeah, I think so. And if we do that and it helps the flip side of that is that we need to make ourselves open to others to guide them to.
0: Yeah. And the, and that's the other cool thing, right? Like of all the random people we just named, like all these fictional characters, of course, but like the, they all serve a function just like we serve a function, whether we recognize that we would make a good guide at something, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're all good at things. And usually it's stuff we don't even think of as important. Like just knowing how to, okay. I was at Bell Tire the other day um, because I've been riding on a, a low pressure tire for three weeks because I'm broke as a joke, but um, it's taxis and kids. But um, I wrote, I rolled up to Bell Tire cause they have free air and I, aired up my tire, and as I'm driving away, there's this Bell Tire employee comes out and shows this woman in probably her early 60s, maybe late 50s, how to air up her tire using this compressor device. And I was just thinking, that is something I don't even think of as like a necessary thing to know how to do. And that woman has gone most of her life not knowing, not knowing how to air up a tire... And how that guy probably doesn't think twice about it, but how much he probably just helped her today. Yeah. Showing her that little tiny thing.
1: So uh, we've been talking about Barnabas being a mentor to Paul. So what does Paul do? As soon as he gets a missionary team, he turns right around. he, He brings on Silas. He brings on Titus. And he brings on Timothy. And he is now a mentor to them, doing the same thing to them. And then when Timothy is out in Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to teach the younger men. Do the same thing. And this chain goes on of mentoring and guiding and pulling people to help them, in essence, deconstruct their faith and learn for themselves what faith really is by studying Scripture. Hmm. So the question comes up, at least in my mind, I don't know, maybe not in yours. Um, What did Paul learn? He went away to Arabia for three years. What did he learn? Well, he certainly learned Scripture because he quotes Scripture, and that's not something that the Pharisees would necessarily do. Uh, They would quote other rabbis. Which, that's so
0: contradictory to what I would have just naturally assumed about the Pharisees.
1: Right, right, right. Well... At the beginning, they were kind of a back to the Bible movement, but they quickly developed into okay, Rabbi so and so says this, and Rabbi so and so says that, and there you go. So I always say
0: that the, that our, our natural leaning as humans is to all turn into Pharisees. Yeah. So even the Pharisees' natural leaning was to turn into Pharisees.
1: I think that's it's, so funny. It's part of what humanity is. I think there are four things that Paul discovered. Uh, from the Old Testament and from what he knew about Jesus. He learned, first of all, that Jesus was the Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. Paul, I think, looked at the prophecies about the Messiah and just started checking off the list. Yep, that's Jesus. Yep, that's Jesus. Yep. When Paul talks about Jesus, inevitably it is... Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. That's what Christ means. So, almost every time Paul talks about Jesus, it's Jesus the Messiah that he's talking about. It's just ground into Paul. Second thing that he discovers is that the Messiah comes twice. And he figures that out when he starts looking at the Messianic prophecies and he sees while Jesus fulfills the person of the Messiah, what's prophesied about the activity of the Messiah is only partially filled. So apparently, he's coming again. Hmm. Now when he talked to Peter and when he talked to some of the other apostles, they probably told him, Oh, yeah, Jesus said... Uh, there are entire sections where Jesus says I'm coming again and Paul goes oh yeah well that makes perfect sense now I understand that Old Testament passage third thing that he learns he learns that Jesus is God now this is not necessarily something that is super clear in the Old Testament um In the Old Testament, there are some indications of persons of the Godhead. Uh, You have God in heaven, El Elyon, God Most High. But then you have the Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Hosts appears to man. Joshua, getting ready to cross the Jordan River, and attack jericho comes face to face with a man with a sword and apparently he's a big dude <laughs> joshua says friend or foe and he says neither i'm the lord of hosts i run somebody says God's armies yeah he says i'm neither
0: but he says i'm the lord of hosts cuz i thought it was the commander of the lords army oh that's what he says okay. i'm the commander okay. of the Die. lords army Look at that, Randy. This is why. This is why people. This is why we don't listen to everything our teachers tell us. Okay, I'm just
1: kidding. You Uh, are wrong. You just said something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He does say I'm the commander of the. I do believe it's the same person. I I do too. I do too. (laughs) Now, the fourth thing that Paul learns is, I think, through the Old Testament, but then through learning more and more about Jesus' teaching. He learns that there is a trinity. God is one. But there are three expressions. Of that oneness. Of God. There is a father expression. There is a son expression. That walked around among us. And there is a spirit. Expression. That today lives inside us. Mm -hmm. So. Four things. Crucial things. But if you look. For example, I think First Thessalonians was the first writing of the New Testament, the first letter to ever be written, and the first thing that we end up having as scripture. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, were writing to the third church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus alongside God the Father. You come to uh, verse 10. uh, These people who know you speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Uh, There's the return. All of these things are repeated again and again in just the opening verses of the very first book to be written. In the New Testament. Uh, Sixth verse. You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. So. Uh, it's amazing how quickly. Paul caught on. And then expressed that. Very quickly. To everyone around him.
0: Hmm. Yeah. The, he was very. Uh, I won't say initially willing. But once. Uh, once God had. You know, gave him that little jolt he needed. It just—he he got on it. He yeah. went after it. Absolutely. He went and he saw it. Yep. And I think that's—that's that's what we need to be doing. And these are the ways
1: we need to do it. So, what does it look like today if we want to deconstruct our faith? You've said that we should deconstruct our faith.
0: Well, so so go back to to the the few things that Paul did there.
1: Okay. First thing. Getting the word. We
0: went back to the scriptures, the original scriptures.
1: It's probably more than just reading, isn't it? More than just reading the Bible.
0: praying over it, yeah. uh, asking God that He would it's like uh what we do with Lectio Divina in, in in services from time to time, where uh big, big word there, guys. Sorry. Um, the idea of like praying through scripture, like going and finding a chunk of scripture and saying, God, I want you to to help me know what this means. Help me get this. Yeah. Help me know what I need to get out of this and then help me apply it to my life. But like actively relying on the Holy Spirit to guide you through the word and to reveal it and to make it known. Um, and so, yeah, I think a big thing that we're lacking in today's world is I think we've diminished the role of the Holy Spirit in our
1: lives. Right, right, right. Yeah. Joining a Bible study group, you know, that's that's good, but you need to get into Scripture on your own. right. Uh, it's it's more than just finding a new Bible study to attend where typically we go and we listen to what somebody else thinks about the Bible. We've got to get into it, dig through it, find it on our own. Reading other books, very good, very important. Sure,
0: commentaries are helpful.
1: They are, but... It's got to be driven by our own study of Scripture. Don't
0: just stop it. Oh, I found a, an answer that satisfies what I was looking for. I'm right. done now. No, go, go get several opinions on it. Weigh them against Scripture, and where do you land? That's what we're that's what we're trying to do here.
1: Find the community. Okay, Scripture, community could be a church. Could be a Bible study group could be a couple of guys get together on Thursday evening, saying, "I want to go deeper. I want to find something. I want to see what Scripture is really saying." But you do it with somebody. You're, you're you're looking at it together, and, and uh, you're benefiting from what the other person is studying and finding out, and they're benefiting from what you're studying and finding out. Okay.
0: So we got scripture, community, um, finding people that are also seeking with
1: us, right? Right. Okay. And a mentor. Find a guide. Find someone, uh, who's able to orient you. Someone who's able and willing to say, no, I don't think that's right. Hmm. Um. Someone to, to love you, to call
0: you up to something better, to not yeah. just leave you where you're at and right. say, "Oh yeah, all of your ideas are
1: perfect." Right. Yeah. <laughs> or more commonly, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Dude, What'd you say, "Oh, oh yeah." Uh-huh, it totally uh-huh. happens
0: <laughs> all the time. It happens. Yeah, yeah. You you need somebody that really takes an interest in you right. and that's willing to walk alongside you through this journey. Yeah, um, and that's not always the people you'd assume it is. I mean, yeah. I've gone to pastors in in my childhood and stuff and asked them questions and kind of got the answer. You just said like, oh yeah, well you know it says this and that's it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, but well wait, I have questions. And they're like, well that's not really true. So It's just dismissive and and, and we we can all be that way from time to time. Sure we can. So I'm not blaming anybody, but you really want somebody that, that takes an interest in this walk with you as a guide, as a mentor. So those
1: three things. As a start, there's probably more. Dude, but there's always more, for I mean, sure. It's <laughs> ridiculous.
0: And Yeah, and I mean, like I said in, in the other video, um, like it, it's good to to think of things historically, scientifically, because we're we're on the other side of this Bible now, right? Like like right. this is this is history to us right, now, right, and right. so we need to know the way those people thought they they believed. Uh, we need to. Think scientifically, logically. um, Those things matter. Uh, Understand that not everything in Scripture is a historical narrative. Sometimes it's poetry. Sometimes it's um, comedy or satire, stuff like that. Um, You need to be aware of what what the book you're reading in the Bible is written in the style of, because that matters as well. And so there's a lot of study. There's a ton of ways of looking at this. But I think those three things you just named, are a really good start. Um, they seem to
1: serve Paul well, so probably they can do the same for us. And this is, ended up okay. <laughs> yes,
0: and this is all assuming that this is a person that is seeking the truth and wants to know what Scripture says. Right. Um, this probably isn't going to do a whole lot of good for the person that really doesn't want to believe in Christianity. Right. Um, right. But it sounds like you already made up
1: your mind, so what are you looking for? Right, right. <laughs> and give us back the word. That's not deconstruction. That's just destroying.
0: Yeah, this this is our word. We're <laughs> reclaiming it. Thank you very much. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Randy, for some wonderful uh, walkthroughs of Paul's life there. Well, uh,
1: thank you for being a great sounding board, too, to bounce some of these ideas off All I'm legs.
0: good at is asking random questions.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, all You know what? They are not so random.
0: They're... <sighs> Okay, we're going here just because we... So I think about this a lot. I'm a, I'm a very intro, like introspective, like... I, I, I don't know. Like, back in college, people called them high ideas because it's like stoner thoughts, I feel like. But, but like, it's... Like, I, I, I will often ask a question and, like, start thinking on it. And I'll dive down deep and, like, start picking it apart. And I'm going down these rabbit holes in my head I don't remember how I got there in the first place. So if you ever like are in the middle of a conversation in this podcast and then you, you hear that lull where Randy's done talking and then I'm trying to like figure out what to say next, it's because I have just been at the bottom of a deep, dark rabbit hole and I'm trying to bring it back to the next. Trying lady. to crawl back up to the surface. It's not easy, man. And so part of me it just wants to be like, I'm just going to make room in my life for like awkward pauses where I can get my thoughts together and give an actual statement. I am
1: okay with that.
0: Right, but it's <laughs> awkward when you're talking to people because it, it feels to them like you're not paying attention, but it's like, no, I'm paying attention too much. That's why I don't know how to talk to you right now. <laughs> like, gotcha, gotcha. Ah, it's yeah. so hard. So, thank you all for sitting on, on this <laughs> therapy session for Zach here. I've really enjoyed it. If you have questions to send us, you can send those to questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com what do you got oh yeah these are fun little coasters did you get these or Jason Jason did yeah Jason got these on vacation they're kind of fun um, yeah give us a like give us a subscribe give us a whatever you can I don't know help us out tell your friends tell their friends share it share it yeah. we want to be able to minister to people that's why we do this so until next time stay salty Hey everybody, I'm Dale, and I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kinos Project podcast, where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in
1: an everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.